news and advocating for a particular position rather than remembering that that community is made up of people, including the 49 people who were murdered, 53 who were injured. Every single person who was there that night was just that, a person made in the image of God with hopes and dreams and struggles and fears and laughter and sadness, everything that comes along with being human. And these people, their families, this community, they're hurting. So the question of how should we interact with the the LGBTQ community, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and questioning community, uh, it's probably a bad question. Because every community is made up of beautiful, complex, glorious ruins, just like you and me. And so instead, we need to be asking, how do we best love people whom God loves, even when we disagree? There is a lot to disagree about. This is a huge topic. Even those few initials don't cover all of the range of experience that people have. And we can't cover it all but it is. There's a lot to disagree about. Sexuality is confusing. The feelings that we have can be really hard to navigate. But we're going to look and see what Jesus does. Isaiah says that Jesus is the one who won't break a bruised reed. If there's a flame barely burning, he's not going to snuff it out. So we're going to see how Jesus interacts with the Samaritan woman. We're going to be reading in John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. But before we do that, let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you work in our hearts? Help us to know how to be people of love and grace and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 4, verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea. And departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, or noon. Now we need to stop back right there and go back to verse 4, where it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Well, that's sort of true. That, the, the, the quickest route up to Galilee from Judea was going through Samaria. But a lot of the really pious Jews, a lot of the really devout Jews wouldn't do that. They would take the longer trip to go around Samaria on their way because the Jews and the Samaritans had a history with each other. And there was some ugly stuff in it on both sides. The two groups of people, they had racial and theological problems A lot of the Samaritans living there, they were considered to be sellouts. They had intermarried with a lot of the people around them. They had started to adopt a lot of the pagan religious practices. They only accepted the first five books of the Bible. They built their own temple for worshiping God instead of going to Jerusalem where God had told his people to build a temple. And they they were firm in their belief that that was the place to worship. So when the scripture says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria... His disciples at that point are probably thinking, what? In a modern context, this would be a lot like Jesus if he was here a month ago saying, you know what, I'm going from here to there. Uh, I have to go by the Pride Festival on my way. 
See, the church and the LGBT community haven't always gotten along. We have a history, but also, in the same way that the Jews and the Samaritans have a shared bloodline, we do too. There was a Pew study done, and in that study, out of the 22.4 million people in the LGBTQ community, 86% said that they were raised in church. 86%. And the number one reason they left was because negative personal experiences. In other words, many of the people who are part of this community, many of the people that you meet, they grew up in church. And if you start asking questions, then you're going to start to find out what some of that bad history is that they had. Because even though theology and the way a church was run was part of some of their reasons for leaving, the number one reason was people didn't treat them well. That's why we need to keep reading and see how Jesus interacts now that he's there. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Well, that's true. You know, we, in this day, we just kind of gloss over that, a woman from Samaria. But that would be shocking to a first century Jew that Jesus, this rabbi, comes and sits down next to a Samaritan who is also a woman in a culture where women's place wasn't what it should have been. And she's there at noon. When do you think would be the best time to go do the heavy work of drawing water from a well? In the morning, when all the other women did it? She's an outcast. She's avoiding them. She can't be around them. But Jesus does something incredible, incredibly dignifying to her. Jesus, one, he talks to her and acknowledges that she's a person. But two, he admits his need. Do you know how dignifying that is to somebody? To say, hey, I'm tired and I'm thirsty. Can you help me? It's incredibly dignifying, and that's what Jesus does. When we speak with or we speak about people who are same-sex attracted or people who are having real and intense struggles with their gender identity, do we recognize that oftentimes they've been wounded and oftentimes by churches and that they may have experienced rejection or been treated as outcasts? And have we ever done what Jesus does and admitted our need? Have we ever admitted that there is so much that we don't understand? There is so much that we don't understand. I don't know what it's like to experience same-sex attraction. I don't know what it's like to look at my body and be disgusted and feel like it doesn't fit. We need to learn from people that have experienced these things, that do experience these things, and we need them to be patient with us as we learn how we can best love them. But here Jesus was tired and thirsty, and he asked for a drink. And after she's surprised, starting in verse 10, Jesus says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Give me this water so I don't have to come here at noon in shame. We'll talk more about the living water later. But look what happens next in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Well, now it's out in the open. The woman has been divorced five times, and now men don't even need to marry her to be with her. That's why she's out getting water at noon instead of in the morning. And at this point, Jesus could have said, okay, seriously, you've been married how many times? He could have said, don't you know you're supposed to live together in marriage, which is true. He could have said, five times somebody's kicked you out, and now they won't even marry. What's wrong with you? But he didn't do that, did he? He treats her with respect and with compassion and even his acknowledgement of her situation. What you have said is true. You're right in saying. Even his acknowledgement is without judgment. Do we treat others with that same respect, that same compassion, that same judgment-free acceptance as Jesus does, as he does with us? You know, as a church and as a denomination, we hold to a traditional view of, of sexuality as it's presented in Scripture. That means that God is the creator, and as such, he chooses what is best for his creation. But ever since the fall, all humans experience brokenness in life, including in our sexual experience. And heterosexuality has just as, many bro- just as much brokenness as homosexuality. We all experience brokenness in that we don't always desire or act according to what's best. We also know, 1 Corinthians 6, we know that what we do with our bodies matters to God. We know that sex is a good gift from God. We know God's best plan for it is expressed, that it's expressed in a commitment of marriage between a man and a woman. However, we also know that neither the same-sex attraction or confusion with one's gender are sin. We have to make a distinction there between the temptation and the practice because we're all tempted in different ways. Sex outside of marriage, no matter what the orientation, is against God's best plan for our lives, though. And that's consistently affirmed in the Old and the New Testaments. It's always confirmed. But we know that the goal for all Christian sexuality, the goal is to live sexually pure lives expressed either in fulfilled marriage or fulfilled singleness. And we know that any Christian can live satisfying, God-honoring lives, whether married or single. Now, I understand that some of you here are going to disagree with this, and I just want to tell you, this is a safe place to disagree. This is a safe place to be working through a hard issue and to not know how to think about it, how to treat other people, how to act. This is a safe place. This has to be a safe place. If we can't talk about this kind of thing in the church, We are doing something wrong. Jesus was the kind of person that people wanted to come to. People wanted to be with him. They wanted to be near him. And we should be the same kind of people. That's what we should be reflecting. 
And the reality is our culture has, has put sex up as a god. And sex is not the god that our culture says it is. Intercourse does not guarantee the intimacy that each of us truly desires, the close companionship, the friendship, the person who says, I know everything you did. I know everything about you and I love you. We also know that even though sex is a good thing in its right place, it's possible to live a fulfilled life as a single person, full of rich and intimate friendships. If we stop for a second, you can even think of some people. The first one is is right there in our face, Jesus. Jesus. We can also think of the Apostle Paul. We can think a little more recently, Mother Teresa, Henry Nouwen, John Stott. Go ask Murray about John Stott sometime and he'll show you every single book the guy's ever written. Up until the near, near the, uh, his 50s. C.S. Lewis even. All these people lived single, fulfilling, God-honoring lives. So Jesus, when he's talking to the Samaritan woman, he doesn't make too big of a thing. He doesn't make too small of a thing about her sexuality. He acknowledges the truth, but he does it without judgment. And he doesn't allow it to keep him from offering her something. He offers her living water. He offers her a higher calling. He offers her a life that is about more than her sexuality, an identity that's not defined by how many times she's been divorced or who she's living with. Do you know the Bible never invites us to identify ourselves based on our sexuality? It says your identity is in Christ. Your identity is being part of this community, part of this mission. Your identity is as one who's drunk from the well of living water. And that's that same living water that he's offering to her. It's the same living water that we all need because we're all sinners. Some of us are inclined toward talking badly about others behind their backs. Some of us are inclined toward lashing out in anger. Some of us are inclined toward desiring what other people have. Some of us are inclined toward going beyond the sexual boundaries that God put there for our good. But the good news is the church is a hospital for sinners. That's the image every one of us should have when we're coming to church. You're not going to a country club. I'm sorry if I'm bursting your bubble. I know I'm not. (laughs) The church is a hospital. When you get ready and you get dressed, you're getting dressed for the hospital. Now, I, I would never get all dressed up for the actual hospital, but you know what I mean. And it's in this community. And it's in communion. We receive living water. We open up God's word. Or we respond to God in prayer. And we receive living water. The water that makes us whole. That gives us life. That's why this is a safe place. If you're an alcoholic. Striving not to drink. If you're a gossip. Hoping to control your tongue. Or if you are a sexual man or woman. Longing for sexual purity and a fulfilled life. This is a safe place. Jesus and the woman go on to have a a very rich theological discussion, even though her theology is a bit confused. Starting in verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Really? Yeah. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Aren't you glad we don't have to fly to Israel every week. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. 
But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, and now here it is. You can kind of see the, the hope that's, that started to rise up in her. I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. In the midst of all of this conversation, what Jesus is doing, and this is, uh, there's a book by a woman named Deborah Hirsch, and it's called Redeeming Sex. It's a great book. We have it in our library. You can check it out. It will challenge you. But what she says, she points out that what Jesus is doing here is he's leading with an embrace. He's not leading with his theology. He's leading with an embrace. Because tell me, what do you think is going to get a better response? Is this going to get a conversation started? It might, but not the one you want. <laughs> but Jesus, open arms, leads with the embrace. Well, come get a hug. There you go. (laughs) Thank you. Jesus accepts her from the start. He shows her dignity. He shows her respect. He shows her compassion so that she might believe. From the moment, in verse 4, from the moment he had to go to Samaria, she belongs with him in conversation with him, sitting next to him drinking water with him. If he had a home, he would have invited her into his home. Even though she was a Samaritan and a woman and an outcast, and as she experiences belonging with Jesus, she comes to believe, and as she believes, then, as we'll see later, she starts to call other people to him. See, this is the job of a missional church, which we are. We talk a lot about us being a missional church. That doesn't just mean that we go out and we do stuff. It doesn't mean that we're operating in what's uh, it's called a bounded set, which we have a picture of that somewhere. The bounded set says that you believe this and you behave this way. Okay, now you're in. Now you belong. That's not what we are, and that's not grace. We follow what Jesus is doing, the model of his, uh, of his interactions with us and with this woman. You belong so that you can believe. And as you believe, you'll become like him. See, when you choose to wake up on a Sunday morning and come to church here, you come because you belong here. And because the Holy Spirit is going to use his word and he's going to use each other to transform each other into the image of Christ. And he's going to use us to point each other toward the center, to point each other toward Christ. See, everyone who comes here is somewhere on this spectrum. And do we have the next slide? Everyone who comes here is somewhere on this this scale. Jesus is at the center. We're moving closer. We're moving away. We are somewhere in relationship to him. And our job is rather than trying to get everyone to behave a certain way or to look a certain way or to talk a certain way, our job is to point people to Jesus. Did you know that the study that we looked at earlier, you know it also shows that 67% 
of LGBTQ people are open to returning to church if someone invited them. And 92% of those wouldn't require the church to change its views in order for them to return. But nobody's coming back to a place where they don't feel like they belong. Well, let's read and see what happened with the Samaritan woman after her encounter with Jesus. Starting in verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled, that's putting it lightly, they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to all people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? You remember how she said she knew who the Messiah would be? He knows all things. He'll tell us all things. And she's saying, he told me everything about me. And he loved me anyway. And they went out of the town and were coming to meet him. And then he has a conversation with his disciples, and we'll skip ahead to 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony that she said, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. That's how you know he wasn't in a hurry. He didn't go through there because it was the quickest path. He stayed two extra days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. As this woman belonged with Jesus, she came to believe in him, and then she started to become like him, and even in such a short time, joins in his mission of bringing other people in a relationship with him. We're here to point people to Jesus. We're here to show them Jesus with our words and our actions and to hear them say, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. We heard for ourselves and we know that this is the Savior of the world. So we're back to our question, how do we best love these people whom God loves even when we disagree so that we can all grow closer to Jesus together? The first thing is we need to see the image of God in everyone. Just the same way that Jesus sees the image of God in this woman. He sees past artificial barriers, just things that we, we think are a big deal and they're not. She's a woman. Well, yeah. God made male and female. You know, well, she's a Samaritan. Well, yeah. People are from different places. And he sees past these things. He sees the image of God in her. And that means, practically speaking, that means we need to be ready to ask questions about other people's experience. And we need to be ready to apologize for times that they felt judged and rejected by Christians. Even if you didn't do it, even if it was somewhere else, even if it was in Australia, and now they're here, be ready to apologize for our other brothers and sisters who might not have been very sensitive. We need to approach everyone with the same respect, compassion, and humility as Jesus did at the well. We need to learn what it means to speak and act with both grace and truth. The temptation is to go too far onto one side or the other. If you have all grace and somebody says, so what do you think about this? Uh, I don't know. You're just going to, you're not going to say anything. But if you're all truth, nobody wants to be around you anyway. <laughs> we need grace and truth. And we also need to remember that whether somebody is gay or straight might not be your business. Our business is to love and to pray and to serve as we point each other toward Jesus. We also need to reject simple answers. There are a lot of simple answers out there for a very, very complicated issue and set of issues. 
but homosexuality isn't a disease. If you start going down the nature versus nurture path, you might get lost. We know that not many who experience same-sex attraction will someday experience heterosexual attraction. And even if they did, heterosexuals have plenty of sexual brokenness as well. Someone who has had a sex change, they can't just change back. But everybody, everybody, no matter their orientation, can learn to live a sexually pure, fulfilled life. But we need to support each other in that, which leads to the next thing, and that is that we need to uplift singleness and embrace community. We're all about families here, and that's good, and the family is good. But you know, God calls some people to be single, and it's good. And we we need to remember, Jesus lived a fulfilled, single life. But regardless, no matter who you are, everybody, everybody needs Christ-centered community in order to live that fulfilled, God-honoring life. We also need to adopt a position of humility and learning. We can't just go in assuming we know everything. There's so much we don't know. There's so much we need to learn Some great resources are the book I mentioned earlier, Redeeming Sex by Deborah Hirsch. Um, Mark Yarhouse at Regent College, they have a center there where they study a lot of things. They have a lot of really good resources. There's a website called livingout.org. It's an organization that was founded by three uh, gay pastors who have a traditional view of sexuality and they are committed to living sexually pure, God-honoring lives. And so they're trying to provide resources for people. But most of all, we have to encourage each other toward Jesus, the perfecter of our faith, the wellspring of living water who offers that living water freely without condition to each one of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us, that we, we all experience brokenness, but you came to make us whole. You came to make all things new. And we will see part of that now, but we will see all of it in the age to come. Would you set our hearts on you? Help us to be people of compassion, people of love, people of grace, and people of truth as you were. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.